you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Excellent is thy name in all of the earth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday night. Thank you for those who may be watching online. Thank you for joining us. Um, I have a couple of Wednesdays, and then we're going to be going to taking our Wednesdays for three weeks for prayer. Um, And then we're going to be moving into the awakening, and so I'm going to start um, an extended series tonight that is going to be, it's going to carry with us uh, through and after the awakening. So I understand that um, I'm going to be stretching some things out for a little while uh, to do this because this is going to be an extended series, and I've had several ask uh, about um, many things that uh, require more than just a brief answer, and so I have chosen to take Wednesday nights, and uh, I'm going to begin a series that I call the Why Series. I did this about uh, six years ago at the Delphi Avenue building, and um, I felt it very important for us to come back to this once again. And uh, there's several new subjects that we're going to be adding that I'm going to be talking to you about. And tonight, as I began talking about the why, t- talking about uh, in the why series, I'm going to begin by talking about uh, having purity in all things. I want you to say that with me, purity in all things. Purity in all things. So it is more than the way things appear, the way things look, the way things Uh, seem to be, but truly living a life that um, reveals the heart and that our heart is pure in all things. So let's begin tonight with Matthew chapter 7 and uh, a a lengthy reading from Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to start with verse number 12 and I will read down through verse number 24 of Matthew chapter 7. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Sounds very similar to what we call the golden rule. For this is the law and the prophets. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them, how? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Let me stop right here at the end of verse 19. Now, I want you to get what we are talking about here. Jesus really is not talking about a tree. Unless you and I are trees. Everybody with me right now? Say this with me. I'm the tree. This is what, this is what he's saying. He's talking about evil and he's talking about good. Trees do not have the ability to be evil or to be good. Although I've had a few I thought were evil. Trees, particularly when I'm raking in the fall. Trees do not have the ability to be good or be evil. He's talking about us. He is using an analogy of trees. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's not talking about building a fire in your backyard. He's talking about eternal darkness in the lake of fire. Wherefore, verse 20, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Because not everything that looks good is good. Because not everything that has a good image has a pure heart. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what is the day he's talking about here? He's talking about the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name. And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, who hears it and who does it, I will liken it, liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. I want to talk about purity in all things, purity in all areas of our life, purity in motive, purity in actions, purity in conversations. So there's a lot of areas that we can explore when we begin to talk about purity in our lives. This is why it is important for the heart to become pure. 
The Bible tells us that the heart is wicked. Who can even know his own heart because it is terribly wicked? The heart is wicked. And so that's why we must have a work of regeneration of the Holy Ghost that takes out the old impure heart and replaces it with a pure heart. So many of us can have we our our what what our motives can be wrong. Our agendas can be selfish. So many different ways that we can become impure, even in our service to the Lord. How many people have you met in your lifetime that you have noticed that they're serving God for personal gain? They're serving God for personal gain. It is about what they get out of serving God. Listen, when I was born, my father was pastoring. I grew up under the second row of the church pew where my mother sat. The church is all I've ever known. I've been around it a long time. And I've ran into a lot of folks through my years that serve God for personal gain. I've heard people say things like, I've, I've heard people praying, and they'll even say, God, if you will do this, then I will do that. Who's in charge? You're moving yourself into the arena of God. You're telling God what you're going to do if He does what you want Him to do first. Where does the will of God come into that picture? Our prayer instead should be God your will and nevertheless... Whatever your will is, nevertheless, I'm still going to serve you. Jesus exemplified it in, in the garden in his prayer when he was facing death. He said, Father, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me. If there's any way that you can do it, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. My point here is, is that regardless if God ever saves your family, saves your children, regardless if you're ever blessed with wealth or health, we must have a made up mind to say, God, show me your will, fulfill your plan, but regardless what you do, I am going to be faithful to your word. I'm going to be faithful to your plan. I'm going to be faithful in the work of the Lord. Nevertheless, I will be faithful. So it does matter what our motives are. It does matter how we live. And it certainly does matter how we act. We are how we act. Our actions and our words must be aligned. There must be an alignment of actions and words. 
I'm trying really hard tonight to stay focused and to stay on my, uh, in my notes because I, I wrote this lesson before today. So I'm trying really hard to stay focused here and not start chasing a rabbit or two around the building tonight. But it'd be real easy for me to get off course tonight and talk about people's words and actions lining up. Just let me say this to you tonight. How you act when you win or when you lose matters. Around our home growing up, we played a game called Rook. Many of you have come to social events around the church and we've fired up a Rook game and played Rook. Around my house now we play Uno and Rook and a few other things that we play around my house. Enjoy playing a game once in a while when I can find the time to, to still away during this season of our prayer and fasting. and I try to clear myself of social media and get that out of my life, I find that I have so much more time, and uh, my wife and Sister Cheryl both really enjoy uh, beating Brother Danny and I in any game that we play, and uh, so we, we have learned to be good losers, and so we, we rarely win. We could, we could, but we want to keep them happy. So my, my mother used to, my mother never played games. My dad would play games in my growing up years. And my mother rarely played games and she would get a little aggravated at us when somebody would, as children, we're playing games and somebody would lose the game and somebody would get frustrated because they lost the game. You ever played with those kind of people? They get frustrated because they lost the game. And if they lose another and then another before long, I've seen people literally get angry over losing a simple game that has the only consequence is bragging rights. But they get frustrated over losing a game. And then I've seen people that just show horrible attitudes when they win. Now, I'm going to tell you that if you talk to Sister Cheryl or my wife, they're going to tell you that I am a terrible winner. I might get up and parade around the room and carry the chair over my head when I win. The celebration is enormous because it happens so rarely. In life, whether we're having a good day or a bad day, it matters how we act. It matters how we live. Whether things go our direction or don't go our direction, it matters how we act. Everybody say balance. We need to work toward balancing in our life on the good days and on the bad days. We learn to balance those days out. When things go my way or don't go my way, it matters how we act. We are how we act. Our actions and our words should align in our life. If our actions are corrupt, we become corrupt. If our conversations are corrupt, we become corrupt. So we are how we act. So we must be careful 
that we strive for purity in all things. Now in today's society and in the last 20 years, there has had to be a change and things preached in pulpits that prior to 20 years ago was never preached because society has changed. Today we deal with things like social media. And so many people have not yet learned the valuable lesson of discipline when it comes to social media. It matters what you say on social media. I've been on a forum or two and meet somebody and they seem to be so kind, but they're such a jerk on that forum. And I've even addressed it a time or two with some people and say, why in the world are you such a jerk on the forum? You seem to be a pretty nice guy. And they say, oh, that's just my screen personality. Well, you do understand, pastor, screen personality, that your screen personality may prevent you from ever getting an invitation at least to preach in my pulpit. Because I've seen you act ways and say things that there is no way possible I would ever turn you loose in my congregation. Because your screen personality don't match what I see the personality of Christ that we're supposed to be representing that is revealed to us in His Word. And so whether you recognize it or not, the things you share, the things you like, the things you promote, the statements that you make, all are revealing to those that are about you and around you and connected with you. If you hang out with people for a little while, you know how you get to know them? By the things they say, by the way they act, by the amount of self-control or the lack thereof. You get to know people by their attitude and their actions and the way they dress and the way they talk and how they handle conflict. You get to know them at a different level. And the same is true when it comes to social media. This is an issue that I must talk about tonight because it is so very important that as a church we recognize the way people who know us know this church is how they know us and what they see of us. As the pastor of this church, I don't come to you over every little thing that happens. I literally had someone call me last summer and told me I needed to go talk to my saint because they were a neighbor of one of my saints and one of my good saints was mowing their yard and they've talked to them about it and when they mow their yard they turn their mower to where it blows the grass over on their driveway and they're tired of blowing the grass off of their, their driveway. Would I please talk to my saint and ask them to stop blowing their grass on the neighbor's driveway. 
I mean, pastors in this area have big jobs to do, important jobs to do. So I talked the lady down off the ledge just before she planted a pipe bomb in the mailbox. She told me she was going to call the cops if they didn't stop. So I talked the lady down off the ledge, assured her that I was concerned, and then explained to her that my job as a pastor is not to deal with issues such as grass clippings. And told her that I was incredibly concerned, to which I was met with a pretty heavy tongue lashing for being a coward and not willing to talk to my saint. And I maintained my cool and understood the Bible tells me that I'm to do good to those. <laughs> so we think, we think little and small things in our lives don't really matter. Everything, everything that you do matters, and particularly when it comes to reaching the lost. And the church, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter to me a lot of things in this life, but I'm going to tell you that it does matter how this church is known in this community. And I'm going to preach this and teach this until it gets so deep down in our core that we recognize that when people see us, they are seeing the church that we represent. And so how we respond to issues matters, and particularly today, which social media is so fastly changed, it is, it is swiftly changed everything in the world so, so, so quickly. So today I see people sharing Things. I'm talking about people who, who claim to be saved, sanctified, set free, and on their way to heaven. They share things with curse words, with filthy overtones to what they're... This is the church of the living God. And we're representing the church, although you're not out shaking someone's hand. People are... People, many people know people that they have never met. Let me help you with this. Let me help you. How many of you are connected with people on social media that you have never met in your life, but you have communicated with them and you talk to them on a regular basis or have had some form of communication through social media with them? Most all of us. I have a guy whom in, get, in telling you a story, it would be very easy for me to mention Mark's name. We have become social media friends, and it's all through a hunting forum that I, that I am a part of, and we seem to agree on several things, seem to have some connections, and through the process, Mark happened to instant message me. We started communicating to the point in which that Mark and I talk, and I watch what's going on, and and. We will communicate on a regular basis, and I have never met the guy one-on-one, -on -one, ever. But I've known him for about four years. And we're friends. 
This is the world we live in. We know people that we have never laid eyes on. We have never shook hands with. We have never talked to. And people, people in our community, they know us and know this church. This is how they know us. This is how they know us, through social media. And so it's so very important. So I'll get off the social media kick here, but it has been, it's, I mean, I've had people get angry with me and want to leave the church, and some maybe have lost, left the church. The last few times that I've talked on social media has ended with me being blocked from certain social media accounts. Thank you. You saved me the energy of having to return the favor. That doesn't hurt my feelings because it's social media. But I'm still not going to stop preaching the truth. The scripture teaches us that we're to guard our actions because people see them and respond accordingly. I need scripture for that. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5 verse number 16. Are you ready? I'll let you read it with me. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Let your light. I don't have my phone. I can't turn on my light to show you how my light shines, but it's not talking about a flashlight. Let your life. Let your light so shine. Can I help you? Let your life be lived in a manner. Let your light so shine before men. That includes women and children. Let your life be lived in a manner before people that they may see and hear and read and watch your good works. Well, people, this is just who I am. They're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. If they want to be connected to me, they're going to see my bad side as much as they see my good side. That's unbiblical. That they may see your good works. Put your best face on for the community that is around you. Well, I'm not going to be fake for anybody. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to be fake. I'm asking you to be pure. Work on those negative attributes instead of claiming them and declaring that this is who you are and the way you're going to be. Work on getting that bad attitude, that filthy mouth, that lying tongue. Work on overcoming it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. If your social media posting has innuendos and filth, that's not going to make people want to glorify the Father which is in heaven. But let them see your good works that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Everything we do should glorify 
the Father which is in heaven. Before you hit send in that text group, ask yourself, does this glorify the Father which is in heaven? When that boy that you meet across the world starts asking you to send some pictures just before you go to bed at night and see what you're wearing, ask yourself, does that glorify the Father which is in heaven? In everything that you do, let it glorify the Father which is in heaven. Some say, well, I don't really care what people think about me or say about me. Then you need to be born again. And a reborn, newly birthed, rebirthed person, born again individual, will care what people think about them because the Bible says you ought to care what people think about. Don't allow your good to be evil spoken of. There's a multiplicity of scriptures that we could pull out tonight and talk about the Bible telling us that it does matter how people view our life. So it matters. We ought to care what people think about us. Oftentimes that kind of talk of well I am who I am and I'm going to be who I am. It's just simply an excuse for poor choices, bad actions, and bad attitudes. And all of those things will lead you to the pit just as fast as many of the other things will. So we should always guard our words and our actions. We should desire that our words and our actions are pure. As a Christian, as a child of God, this, let me ask you, how many of you ever get angry? You have a biblical, how many of you don't get angry? Okay, good. Whew, I'm glad I didn't have to preach on lying tonight. You have a biblical right to be angry. Be angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So there's no sin in being angry, but how you act when you become angry matters. The emotion of anger, the emotion of anger is not sin. The action that follows is what dictates what is in your heart, either good or evil. An evil tree can't bring forth good fruit. A good tree can't bring forth evil fruit. So when you get angry, what comes out of you is revealing what is inside you. That's why we need to strive to be pure in all things. I use anger because it's one of the ones that so often is left uncontrolled. I was sharing with someone the other day when I was young, much younger, when I was but a lad, when I was but a wee lad, I had a hot temper, vicious temper, blow up at the drop of a hat. And I had to learn to curb that and control that. It didn't happen quickly. It took a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of work. And I was talking to someone the other day, and I shared with them this fact and this truth. 
when you deal with sins of the flesh, it is different than dealing with sins of the spirit. You can cast out an evil spirit. You can't cast out the flesh. So sins of the flesh, you have to put under your feet. You have to get on top of it. You have to live on top of it. That's why the Apostle Paul says he has to die daily. That's why he also said he has to keep under his body. Sins of the flesh you have to work on continually. Here's what happens. When you stop praying, you stop fasting, you stop trying to grow in the Lord, the first things that will show up in your life are the things that you have declared that you have put out of your life and you no longer deal with. You want to see a temper-riddled pastor? Let me stop praying and fasting and seeking the Lord and all of a sudden the old temper will begin to rise back up because it's a sin of the flesh. And you can cut it down, but if you don't keep it cut down, it will come right back. It'll grow right back into your life. So it matters. Let those who sin, sin no more. Doesn't mean the temptation is not there. It doesn't mean that that thing is not in your life. But things such as bitterness is a root. Anger is a root. There's several things such as wrath has a root. All of those sins of the flesh, sins of the flesh have roots. And you have to cut it down. But you have to make sure that you plant something good and you keep it cut out of your life. Because if you don't, just leave it for one season and it will begin to grow back up in your life. So how you handle that anger is what sets you apart from being the good tree or the evil tree. The good works or the evil works. And just simply saying, I don't really care what people think about me, is not an excuse for us to live life in idle and allow the old man to control us. This is why the apostle tells us that we are under no obligation to this flesh. He who is in Christ Jesus no longer has an obligation to the flesh, meaning You have repented. You have buried it. The blood has covered it. You have cut down the old man, the old anger, the temper tantrums, the fits of anger, the gossip. Guess I'm not going to get much help now. Ungodly verbal outburst, cussing. Screaming, using dirty slang words. You've crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust or the desire to do them. You put them under your feet. You've got them out of your life. You repented and you were baptized. Now you are no longer under any obligation to the flesh to allow them 
to dictate the pattern of your life. Now, you have to have those under control. You're, you have, now there's no excuse to say, well, that's just who I am. No, you're under no obligation. Everybody say no obligation. I have no obligation to that. I have no, it, it, I may have been born and my mama may have been that way and my dad may have been that way and I may have been raised in a home that was that way but now that I have repented and baptized in Jesus' name I now am under no obligation to the person that I used to be. I don't have to be like my mama, don't have to be like my dad, don't have to be like my grandparent, don't have to be like the environment I grew up in. I now am a child of Jesus Christ. I am born again. I now have taken on a new name. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus to walk at, not after the flesh, but to walk after the Spirit. I have no obligation to those things that are, are attached to my flesh. So now I must strive to be pure in all of these areas, although I will deal with temptation. Give me about 10 more minutes and I'll wrap this up. We should be careful with affections toward anything that is connected to this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15. Love not the world, neither the things... Everybody say the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you've got to decide. It is either loving the world or loving the Father. There is a choice to be made. So if you're going to be pure in all things, you can't say, well, I want to keep an attachment to my old life. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All sin falls in those three categories. If those are in you, those things are not of the Father but are of the world. Verse 17, and the world passeth away, meaning those things, and the lust thereof. Those things all pass away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the only way to have eternal life is to do the will of God and allow those affections and those things that are attached to the world, we have to put them out of our life. I could do a whole lesson on people who are so selfishly motivated in their living for God that everything is about them. It's me, me, me. God, do this for me. God, do the, we act like he's a genie in the bottle. All we do is just make wishes constantly. Our whole prayer is God give me, God give me, God do this, God work this out, God do this. Look at me, God, I deserve it. Look at all the things I'm doing. Well, my goodness, I'm on a 35-day fast. I'm on a 21-day fast. I'm going to church three times a week. I'm praying twice on Sunday. I deserve all these things, God. Do this for me. Do that for me. No, we don't deserve anything. We've already got more than we deserve. Our sins were washed away, and we're on our way to heaven. 
If nothing else, if no other blessings come in our lives, we must be satisfied with the fact that we're born again and on our way to heaven. We're not going to have to pay a debt that we could have never paid, but we have the blood of Jesus that saved us. So all affections, loving not the world, not being connected to the world and all the things that are in the world. Because if we get an attachment to the things that are in the world, the love of the Father is not in us. So there, there is no happy medium where somebody says, well, I love this, but I also love God. I, I, I love I love money, but I also love God. I'm not preaching against money. It takes money to live. I understand that. That's why we work. There's nothing wrong with having things. We have to live and survive. It's okay to be comfortable, but be careful about not getting so caught up. And the love, the, 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 the word really is talking about greed, it, to, to become greedy to where no matter how much we have, the more we have, the more we want until we become confused in our minds and we call wants needs. And we start saying, I really need this. No. I need food, shelter, and raiment. If I have those things, my needs have been met. Everything else is a bonus and a benefit. Work hard. Do your best. Have whatever that you can have. But don't fall in love to the point that you've got to have the bigger house, got to have the finer car, got to have the better clothes, got to have more than your neighbor. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if you fall in love with those, you cannot love God. The love of the Father is not in Him. And all of the things that you fall in love with are going to pass away. You can't take any of those things with you. You've heard it said, I'll say it again, but you've heard it said, said many, many times. I've never heard a person on their deathbed say, oh, I wish I would have bought the bigger house, had the finer car. I wish I would have done more at work. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I was... But what you hear people saying is, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have done more for God. Because all the things in this world pass away. Those things pass away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The Bible puts great emphasis on the things that we treasure we must not love or cling to the things of the world. What are the things of the world? Money, power, and fame. We can cling to money, we can cling to power, and we can cling to fame or individual significance. Three areas which man happens to deal with. We want to have more friends than everybody else. Nicer things than everybody else. More money in the bank than everybody else. We want to have more power and the control. We want the higher position. How many people, Lord have mercy in my lifetime, have I seen that have left the church over not getting the place, the position, 
the thing that they thought they deserved, the thing they thought they want, and they turn their back on God over nothing more than trying to gain power. How many people in my lifetime, my Lord, how many people have I seen that have lost out with God because they were striving for money and they started putting money ahead of God and they took overtime that they didn't need and they, they took the job that, that wasn't required because they wanted money, 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 money. And before long, they missing church and missing church and missing church. And before long, they're backslidden and now they're only serving God at face value and without a pure heart. And before long, they're backslidden and they're completely out of the church or how many people get frustrated and the first things that said oh I can't be part of the cliques their individual significance does not meet up to their standard or they feel they're not being used enough they, don't have, they didn't get the position. They don't have the place. They don't have enough solos. They don't have enough opportunity. The individual significance. Ultimately, to gain popularity, the Bible speaks clearly about these things. These are things that are connected with the fall of mankind. The love of money, the love of things, and individual significance. We must guard against them. We all struggle with the things that are in the world. It is a constant battle that we all struggle with the things that are in the world. But we see the word of the Lord telling us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to end. I'm going to come back next Wednesday if the Lord's will. And I'm going to pick up here and continue talking about why we desire these things in our life and what it is that drives us and motivates us to seek after these things. We must, ladies and gentlemen, we must seek to have a pure heart, to have a pure life, to have and be what God wants us to be. Stand with me all over the room right now. I want you to just to pray with me in closing right now. I want you to lift your hands toward heaven right where you are. And I'm going to pray over you and I want you to pray that the word of God would sink into our hearts. God, right now we come to you, Father, asking you, Lord, that you would look into the heart of every man, woman, boy, or girl in this room today. And God, that your word would find a spot, that it would touch the heart, oh Lord, that every individual would be, Lord, be adjusted, that they would find a place of adjustment in their lives, God, to where you would begin to work and change us, move us away from an attachment to this world, attachment to the things of this world and the drives and the desires of this world. Oh God, that we must but that we are walking with a pure heart, that we may be, Lord, pure in all things in our lives, our motives, our actions.